you know, I kind of figured out probably the worst superpower ever. You know what the worst superpower in the world would be? It's invisibility. Invisibility would absolutely be the worst superpower ever. Because to never truly be seen would be to not be known. And if you, like, are in this room, you may be able to relate with that feeling. Some of you feel like you have that superpower in your life right now. You feel like, man, I'm invisible. I'm invisible to my family. I'm invisible to my friends. I am invisible to my spouse and my kids. And no one really sees me. And you feel like I have that superpower. And it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, maybe you're in here and you're a mom. And maybe last night, even, you were folding laundry. And you were putting everyone's stuff together. And then you just looked at the laundry bins around. And they're full again. And all of the clothes seems to be laying next to the bin, not in the bin. Because, man, everyone can. There, there's this ghost that no one knows about that picks up after them. Just this invisible phantom that shows up. I, I watched this skit the other day. And this guy um, was like, man, I don't know how. But um, his wife was like, man, I'm really stressed out. There's so much work to do, and, and there's so much laundry and all these things. And he's like, listen, I was going to hold this close to the chest, but I got to just let you know, this table is magic. And she's like, what do you mean? He's like, if you just put stuff on it, the next day it's gone. And if you put more stuff on it, like, like if you put laundry, it's gone, cleaned, and folded, and it's back. And he's like, this is a magic table. And she was like, I'm the magic table, okay? The reality is she was invisible to him, and she felt it. Maybe you're a dad in here, and you're, you're going every day to work to a job that you hate, to do things that you don't want to do, and the thing that you get when you get home is all the needs that everyone has and not a thank you. Or maybe you're a, a single in this room, and you have been waiting for that special person forever, and you just don't feel seen, and you aren't finding that right person. And man, it's just tough, and you feel invisible. You're that couple that so wants kids, but they haven't come yet. You're a teenager or a student in the room, and you feel like your just parents don't understand you and don't know you, and school is awful, and people are awful, and there's all these pressures. Or maybe you just like post online, and no one likes it. No one cares. You have no followers. And I know that that is cheap in this world, but the reality is, is like it can make you feel real invisible real quick. I think one of the most beautiful things that can happen for us as people is to really be known and to be seen. And so today, what I want us to look at is one of our deepest desires in life is to truly be known and to truly be met where we are and for us to be seen. And so I want us to see that although the world may not recognize you, God does. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And you're not alone when you're folding that laundry or going to that job or uh, you're, you're praying and praying and praying to meet someone because you've been single and you're struggling. God sees you. You know, coming down here, uh, there was a season of our life where we felt really invisible um, when we came down to plant the church, I remember we were walking um, through the grocery store and um, our kids had just been like rebelling at home. And so Kelsey and I were like, hey, can you watch the kids? We're going to go grocery shopping. And I remember um, getting to the cash register and Kelsey telling me like what we needed to get and all these things. And when we got to the cash register, um, we were so poor when we got down here, we were on EBT. And there's no shame on being in, on EBT. Like, we all hit moments in our life where we need help, and we did. But I remember when I pulled out that card to pay for the groceries, I felt so invisible. Because 
I had left this place where I had an incredible position and prominence and authority and leadership and we had good finances. And then here I am going and leaving to do what God has for us uh, and for this city. And I have to pull an EBT card out of my pocket to pay for my groceries. And I just felt like in that moment, do you see me? Like, is this why you called us down here? Like to, to do this? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, I've said yes to you. I've said yes to moving my family. I've said yes to planting this church. And like, why am I using this? Why, why is this happening? Why, why is this going on? And I realize now that's such a futile thought. It, EBT was God's provision. And it was God's hand in our life. And he was moving and doing something. And he was humbling me in the process. Because, man, a prideful pastor is a quick way to destroy a church. And so I realized, like, God, even though I felt invisible and I felt like I wasn't being seen, God was seeing me more than I saw myself. And he was doing something in my life that was so beautiful. And so today we're going to be looking at the name of God, Elroy. This shows up in the book of Genesis. If Hunter's here, she was singing. She has a tattoo. I'm sure she'll show you it. But like, it's important to her because she felt seen by God. And so we're going to get into this story. And it's kind of wedged into the story of Abraham and Sarah, where Abraham gets uh, Hagar pregnant. And it's this, this little kind of story within the middle in Genesis chapter 16 of the God who sees So if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 16. Let's jump into the text as we see what God has to say for us today. Now, Sarai, verse 1, Abraham's wife was born, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. I'm giving you guys the background to this. We'll pick it up in verse 3. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed. To what Sarah said. Here's where we pick up this morning. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, waiting on God's promises. Uh, he had been living there for, in Canaan for 10 years. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to sleep with her husband and to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. There's tension now in the household. The idea here is that uh, in this time, this was not an uncommon practice. This, This would happen. And so what would happen is, but the main wife, Sarah, her position in the family was never in threat. But what happened is, is when Hagar begins to despise her mistress, Sarah senses the pressure, feels a little bit invisible. And so she begins to take things into her own hands. Listen to what the Bible says. That she began to feel this suffering and she was pregnant and Hagar has this problem. And then Sarah said, verse 5 to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Notice the blame shifting. I put my slave into your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. I mean, I think we see two people in this story that feel invisible. Could you imagine, just for a second, you've been waiting for decades to have kids. And the text indicates that 
likely Hagar got pregnant the first time that they were together. Could you imagine just for a second being Sarah, praying to God for decades to have a baby, to never have that prayer answered. And so she gets desperate. But has anyone in here ever felt forgotten by God? Have you ever felt like you're just in the season of life and it's like, there's old hymns about this. Don't pass me by. Don't forget me. And maybe some of us in this room, you feel that. Like you feel like God's just forgotten the predicament that you're in, the, the desires that you have, the love that you have, and you just feel like Sarah. Like, man, I've been praying for this forever. And do, have you forgotten me? Have you like given up on me? Are we done? Like what is going on? And so when we begin to feel invisible, we will begin to take things into our own hands. Maybe that's some of us in the room right now. Like you felt forgotten. You feel invisible to God and others. And so now you're just beginning to take everything into your own hands. And you're trying to work out everything in your own effort and in your own money and in your own time and in your own talent. And man, it is miserable and it has disastrous results. Notice everything that Sarah wanted to happen did and she was still miserable. She was miserable. Has anyone ever gotten there? You like work so hard, you put everything into your own own work and your talent and your time and your effort. And man, you felt invisible to God and others. And so you just, you know, you went and made it happen. And then when it happens, you realize everything that you had to sell to get there. And when you finally attain this thing, it's miserable because of all the costs that you had to give up for it because you felt invisible. But not only does Sarah feel invisible, so does Hagar. Hagar didn't ask to get married. Hagar didn't ask to get pregnant. Hagar didn't ask to be like a surrogate. And then she gets pregnant and she begins to despise her mistress. And then her mistress mistreats her. And so she flees. She runs from her protection, from her provision, from all of these things. Because, man, I I didn't ask to do any of this. I didn't ask to be here. And a lot of us feel invisible by God, to God, because you're in a situation you didn't ask to be in. You're like, I didn't ask for this health crisis. I didn't ask for this financial crisis. I didn't ask for the world to be going crazy right now. I didn't ask for the stock market to be terrible. I didn't ask. But here I am. And I'm in this situation. Do you even see me? And so Sarah takes it into her own hands and tries to make it all happen. Hagar begins to go, man, I feel invisible. I'm in this situation. I didn't even ask to be a part of it. I'm out of here. And I wonder for us in this room, like where you are, because I, I feel like we see behind the text. So this isn't in the text. It doesn't say that it felt this way, but let's be human for a second. Because here's what I feel like is going on. If you feel invisible, here's some symptoms uh, in your life of what it looks like. Jealousy. Jealousy. Why don't I have what they have? Why, why don't my kids put all the laundry in the closet, in the bin like, like their kids do? I've seen it on Instagram. Their house is never messy. No, that portion of their house is never messy, right? You're jealous. Why don't I have what they have? I've been working just as hard, all of these things. You're angry. Is anyone in here just pissed when other people do well? 
I mean, listen, can we just be not church people for a second and just be humans and go, yeah, I hate it when other people do well. You probably, there we go. Let's go. Let's go. We got one honest guy in the room. But here's the deal. You know why? I feel invisible. You know what? When you're doing well and you feel seen, what other people are doing doesn't matter. So you're angry. You're jealous. You're, you have hatred. You have fear or bitterness or you assume the worst or you feel undervalued and underappreciated all the time. These are all symptoms of feeling invisible. Sarah is in this moment and she feels so invisible when everything that she wanted to happen, happened. Hagar feels invisible and she begins to do all these things and she flees because she feels unseen. When you begin to, I'll tell you what invisibility looks a lot like. It looks a lot like comparison. It looks a lot like Instead of me being with God and talking with God and understanding what's going on in my life right now, I'm going to just start to judge myself based upon everybody else. And let me just tell you something. Comparison kills because it leads to one of two things. Pride. I'm better than all these people. Look what I'm driving. Look what I got. Look at my family. Look at my kids. I'm awesome. Well, there's this phrase in the Bible that can kind of bring a little bit of humble pie. We got to eat a little crow here. Uh, pride comes before the fall. Or despair. I'll never be like them. My kids will never love me like those kids love them. My kids will never respect me like their kids respect them. My, my spouse will never treat me like that. I will never be able to. I will never be able to finish that degree. I'll never find somebody. And so what comparison does is it kills you because it will either lead you to pride, which will lead you to fall, or it will lead you to despair and you'll give up. And invisibility does that to us. Because when you feel invisible, you don't feel seen, so you got to see yourself through everything else. And so what happens for you and I is, is exactly what happens to Sarah and Hagar. Like, they feel invisible, and so they go down roads and do things that they were never intended to do. And so let me ask you something in this room. Do you feel like you have the superpower of invisibility? Some of us want it when we're doing things we shouldn't be doing. But no one wants it for their whole life. I mean, that's why these social media platforms work. You understand that? It's a way to be seen. And it's a way to develop and procure and, and uh, mold the image that we want the world to see of us. And let me just tell you something. If you're wearing a mask, you're not seen and you feel invisible. That was one of the best parts of the pandemic for me. Because I know some of y'all hated masks. But there were times when I went to the grocery store and I loved it. Because I'd put on the mask and I'd put on a hat and I'd wear it real low and I would just go grocery shopping. And no one knew it was me. And I loved it. I felt invisible. But what I realized soon was that invisibility can make us do things that we weren't created to do. And so here's the deal. God knows you. God knows you. God knows you better than you know you. Listen to what the Bible says, starting in verse 7. It says this, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. Notice, Hagar didn't find God. God found her. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, 
where have you come from and where are you going? We talked about this when we talked about names and the name Yahweh. In the Old Testament, a person's name indicated everything about who they were. Like to know their name was to really know them. We don't, we don't think that way now in this culture, but in that culture, to know someone's name is to really know them. What is the angel of the Lord? This is called a theophany. We believe this is God showing up, talking to people. What is, how does God address Hagar? Hey, you weird girl. Why are you sitting by the spring in the middle of the desert? No. Hagar. He said her name. And what the text indicates for you and I is, what God is saying is, I know you. I know everything about you. I know what's going on in your life. The fact that God calls her by name should tell us this. He knows her. And the Bible says that when we come into faith and as sons and daughters of God, we're not just called son and daughter. We are called by our name. What does that indicate for us? What is God telling us from the Old Testament? I know you. I know you intimately. I know you more than you know yourself. Hagar doesn't call out to God. Hagar doesn't, doesn't you know, build an altar or, or make a sacrifice. In fact, you know where Hagar's headed? Back to Egypt. She's on her way back to her past. She's on her way back to a terrible place. She's on her way back because being invisible where she was, it's better to go to people that, although they saw her, hated her, it was better for her to go back to that. And so while she's on the road to self-destruction, God stops her and says, Hagar, notice that she doesn't say, who are you and how do you know my name? And how do you know that I'm the maidservant of Sarah? Some of us in this room, God's been calling you by name for a really long time, and that's never astounded you. That's never astounded you. That he knows what's going on in your life without you telling him. He knows how you're feeling without you saying it. He knows what you're struggling with without you confessing it. He knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows you by name. He counts the number of hairs on your head. He knows you because he made you. And you're important to him. And so here's the deal. If you feel invisible to everybody, the God who created you knows you. And you may be on this road back to the past. You may be on this road back to a terrible place in your life. You may be walking towards all of these things that are awful for you because you feel invisible in your life right now. And so you're going to go ahead and message that person from high school that you were sweethearts with 20 years ago because, man, they knew me and they saw me. And so, oh, yeah, I remember what it was like then. And so you'll go back to a hellish place because you feel invisible now. Being invisible to others and to the world will make you do things you don't want to do that you will regret. And so here's the deal. God knows you. But not only does God know you, God knows what you need most. Hagar just saying, I need to be seen. I need to be a little bit okay What she needs most is what God is going to reveal in this next phrase. Verse 9, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Go back. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Look at what happens here. God speaks to immediately. He knows Hagar and he knows her two greatest needs. What's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to my baby? 
That's exactly what happens in these two phrases. What's going to happen to me? You need to go back to your provision. You need to go back to your protection. You need to go to, back to a place where you really are known and seen. Because where I called you is where you need to be. You need to go back. That's you. And I'm just going to tell you, your descendants and what's going to happen out of this baby are too numerous to count. What does that mean? It's going to be okay. So Hagar's two greatest needs, when she feels invisible, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to this baby? And it's probably in the other order. What's going to happen to this baby? What's going to happen to me? God answers immediately. Go back and submit to your mistress. Go back and submit to her. Why? Because there's provision, there's protection, there's all of these things that I've called you into. Go back to that. You're going to be okay. And your offspring is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Even though there's this tension, even though there's all of these things that are going on in your life, believe me, I'm going to work it out so well that the, the number of descendants of your son are going to be too numerous to count. And what does that mean for you and I? That God not only sees our physical need, but he sees our emotional, spiritual needs. He sees it all. He sees us down to the core of who we are. You are fully known by God. You are not an anomaly. And let me just tell you something in this room. I know that you feel invisible, but you're not special. And it's the best time in the world to not be special because you're not the only person in the world that's invisible to God. You're not special. God sees you. He knows you. He knows the longings. He knows the pain. He knows the fear. He knows the distress. And what he shows to us in the story of Hagar is he knows her and he proves it by speaking to her two greatest needs. She's not invisible to him. And so let me ask you, what do you need most? What do you need most in here? Do you feel like God's forgotten you? Do you feel like you're invisible to the Lord? Do you feel like you're invisible to your friends and your family and all of these things that are going on in your life? And for some of us, we've said what we need, but others didn't hear us. And that made us feel more invisible. Have you ever said something to someone and they kind of gloss over exactly what you said and they speak to a need that you don't actually have? You're like, that's not what I said. I'm invisible. God answers that question here too. Because look at what happens as he begins to tell Sarah what to do. So the angel of the Lord, he finds her, he invests in her, and look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant. This is early on. She wasn't showing. He's saying, I know you, and I know your need, and I know what's going to happen. And you shall give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. God hears. It says it right here. For the Lord has heard of your misery. So not only do I know you, not only do I, I hear or see the greatest needs that you have internally and externally, but I hear you. And how many of us to feel seen is to be heard? Right? Because like a lot of us around here, like I see you in the room. I see what's going on. I, you, I mean, you may be wearing your happy church mask right now. I think we should do a series about masks. You think so? And the, the masks that we wear and how God wants us to just be who we are. Because some of you, you can be in a room full of people and be alone. Because you're invisible. 
And God says this, not only do I know you, do I know your greatest needs, but I heard you. Does someone in here need to be reminded that God is hearing your prayers? Even the ones you whispered way deep down in your soul that you can't even utter, that you can't even say, that there's no words for, that God hears you. He hears you. He knows your pain, and he knows what is going on. And so God graciously tells Hagar, I'm going to need you to remember this. And so I'm going to name your son Ishmael. God hears me. What a reminder for Hagar. Because every time she called her son's name, she was reminded of the faithfulness of God. And maybe for some of us, you don't know the answer yet. You don't know what's happening yet. God still got you in process. And I know that process is hard. I know it's the hardest place to be. But the reality is, is some of us need reminders in our life of Ishmael. God hears me. He hears me. And maybe some of you need to start naming your problems Ishmael. And you need to start praying about Ishmael. And you need to start praying about that problem or that need or whatever. But in your prayer life, you need to call it Ishmael. Because as you're praying, you need to be reminded that God's listening. That he hears you. And he knows what's going on. Because here's the reality. Can I just be honest with all of us in this room for just a second? When we are seen by God, we don't need to be seen by anyone else. What is Hagar? What is God's promise? Go back. And submit, and I'm going to make your descendants from your son, whose name's Ishmael, that means I heard you, so numerous you can't count. And notice what he didn't say. And don't worry, Sarah's going to know you and recognize you, and Abraham's going to know you and recognize you. No, what God says is go back knowing that I'm enough to see you. Some of us need to get back to that marriage and go back knowing that God sees us. Some of us need to go say sorry to that person, knowing that they won't accept the apology, knowing that they're not going to reciprocate, knowing this, that God sees me and I don't need you to. Some of us need to let go of the pressure of Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all of these other things. No one needs to know how good you are dancing at these songs. Okay? Can I just be, I'm like, how long did that take you? God sees you, and he hears you, and he knows you. And let me just tell you something. When you really realize in your life, when you really, really realize, and I'm still realizing this, guys. I'm not there yet. But the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I feel seen by God and Jesus, the less I need to be seen by everybody else. I'm still in process. Don't get me wrong. But someone said, what do you do when like, people like, complain about you online? I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. They don't know me. God sees me. One guy wrote, we put up this short. I think I shared this a few weeks ago. Um, we put up this short uh, part of the message. It was doing really well. And I think it got like 16,000 views or something. I don't know. But Naomi knows. I don't know. But um, one guy wrote, and I got to see it. It's like, and then the pastor drives off in a Lamborghini. And I was like, well, what's wrong with a Lamborghini? Okay, but... Everyone was like, don't you want to say something? I was like, nah. I don't need to prove myself to that random stranger that I don't, that that's not why I'm in this. God knows. God sees me. 
And who cares if I drive a Lamborghini anyway? You don't know me, right? But what happens here is this. My self-worth, my self-value, my need to be shown and proven doesn't need to answer that question. Because God and I are okay. And God knows. And to be seen by him and known by him was enough for me in that moment. But here's the deal. When we really feel seen by God, we can begin to know him. Look at what happens in verse 13. As she begins to feel seen and she hears what God says, verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. That is the name El Roy. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Some of us in this room, can I just be honest with you? Our relationship with God is stalled out because we don't feel seen by God. But the reality is, is when, you, when God meets your need, and as I was at that funeral yesterday, all I saw was God seeing his son suffering and meeting him where he needed to be. And the grace of God abounded in that message and in that, that funeral. And Kevin and his kids were fully seen. You know what's more important than the $15,000 that we sent to Kevin? The fact that God stirred the heart of his people so much so that he met his need through people who don't know him. Do you know how seen you feel when Kevin didn't ask for money, Kevin didn't ask for help, Kevin didn't do anything, and we felt led and we came together as a group of God's family and said, well, we see you and so does God. Some of us in this room need to realize, and maybe you're having that epiphany right now, that no matter where you go, no matter what happens to you, no matter how far you stray, no matter what you've done, God sees you. And I mean that in the, not like God sees you. I mean like he sees you and he knows you and he knows what you're hiding deep down in your heart. He knows what you're suffering with and he sees you and he loves you. And I don't think you're in this room by mistake today. He's Elroy, the God who sees me. And then she says what? The God who sees me, now I've seen him. And when she sees God, she's able to go back. She goes, he sees me and now I see him. And okay, I'll obey. I'm going back. Do some of us in this room need to, to feel that way? That Like maybe, <clears throat> because here's the deal. When you have need, you grow in distrust. And some of us have grown in distrust to God because we have needs. We feel invisible. And so we don't know him because it's hard to know someone you don't trust. <clears throat> I mean, like really know him. A lot of us can know a lot about who God is and not know who God is. You can tell me all the facts. I'm like, okay, but what does his voice sound like in prayer? I don't know. I never heard it. Where is he working in your life? I don't know. I don't see it. Do you know him? Because he knows you. And let me just tell you the truth right now in your life. He wants to be known by you. He wants to be known. That was one of the most convincing arguments for the existence of God is that the fact that this universe is created with beauty. Because beauty, it's meant to be admired. It's meant to be seen and enjoyed. And the fact that our creator God made this place with such beauty made me realize he wants to be known. He wants to be seen as well. And so my life began to make a radical shift. 
But here's the beautiful thing about who God is. When God sees, he acts. God not only sees, but he acts. Look at what happened in, in these verses as, as he begins to see what's going on. I'm going to read a little bit further in the text, but I'm going to start in verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord, the one who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For he said, I have, she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lai Roy. It means that the Lord was there. It's in Kadesh. But it says this in verse 15. So Hagar bore a son to Abraham. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. That's crazy. She doesn't give it. Abraham does. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This whole text is about people who feel invisible and a God who enters their misery and knows their name and sees them and knows their greatest needs in life, and he acts. And sometimes the act of God in our life is shifting our perspective to the situation, not just remedying the situation. Sometimes that's the most beautiful aspect of what goes on. God did not raise Nicole back to life, but he shifted Kevin's perspective to see God's goodness and his grace and that something good was going to come out of her death. That's beauty. That, that is the fact that Kevin's heart, because he's so known by God and seen by God and, and believed in God so much, that because of that, God shifted his perspective and moved him towards goodness and grace. Kevin spoke at the funeral yesterday. Do you know how much strength and courage and grace is needed to speak at your wife's funeral when she died giving birth to your two twin sons and one is in the hospital? And you know what he talked about? The goodness of God. You're like, man, that's peculiar. I know when God radically shifts your life, things get weird. Because your perspective shifts towards heaven and towards hope. God sees and he acted. God not only sees her, but that word to see has another meaning to deliver, to rescue. So here's what I want you to do. Can you do me a favor? Just look at somebody around you and say, God sees you. All right, you all aren't convincing. Look at somebody next to you and say, God sees you. Sometimes we need to hear from somebody else. Because when you feel invisible, how many of us know the worst voice in the world is the one playing in your head? Church, look at me. God sees you. God sees you. And he knows your greatest need and he knows what you are going through and he knows how you're suffering and he knows the joy that you want to experience. He knows. But he's in process and he's moving you along and he's preparing you and he's equipping you and he may shift your perspective. I don't know what God's gonna do in your life. All I know is that it's good. Because he is good. And there's nothing that he does that isn't good. We just don't know the whole story yet. It's like some of us are putting down the book of life because the middle of it got really hard. It's like, whoa, this chapter sucks. This, <laughs> I would not write this book. But every great book has trial. Every great story has problems. That otherwise, it's a dumb story. 
right? Even the gospel in Jesus showing up in this world. It's like he dies? What? Have you guys seen that skit where this guy's in a Bible study in the book of Matthew and they're reading and they get to the part where Jesus dies and he's like, he dies? What? He goes like, this is crazy. And he goes, who did it? Don't tell me it was Judas. And he's like, it was Judas, wasn't it? And it's like the funniest thing ever. But I was like, what if you put down the Bible then? He did. For some of you, the next chapter of your life is going to be the greatest chapter of your life because God sees you and knows you and is preparing for you a story far greater than you ever could have written for yourself. And thanks be to God for that. But God not only sees, he acts. And I'll tell you the greatest act that God has ever given us. God saw that sin and death were going to reign. And let me tell you something, Christian. Death is not normal. You and I mourn death because we were created for eternity. That is why death is so hard. Otherwise, if it was just part of what happens, and it was just normal, then we should not suffer so greatly. Because deep down, as image bearers of the, like, created by God, we hold eternity in our heart. We know that we are created for more. So death is foreign. And this is what the Bible says. I heard this yesterday. I thought it was so good as I was preparing for this. And I know I'm over time. Just love me enough to bear with me. That word, oh, death, where is your sting? It comes out of 1 Corinthians and in uh, the Psalms. The idea there is of a scorpion sting. And the worst part of a scorpion sting is not the sting, it's the venom. Death will prick us all. Until the Lord comes home, death will prick us all. But here's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He removed the venom. And so for you and I, it is just a prick. It is just a sting that has no power for it leads us to eternity. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. God so saw our need, humanity's need, that where sin reigned, death reigned. That Jesus acted and he came to this earth And he lived the life that we should have lived. And he died the death that we deserve to die. But he rose again, removing the penalty of sin and death. So now it is just a prick and there is no venom. For death for us is not final. But it is calling us to such a greater place and to a better home. And Nicole is experiencing that. And so we experience here the pain of it. She is not. And for every person in this room, the greatest need that you'll ever have and the, great, the one need that all of us will have is that. And I want you to hear these words. Some of you may know um, a great theologian and just person, Tim Keller, died this week. Um, he has written books that probably have influenced all of your lives. He has done things that are incredible. He was a great man of God. And you know what? We hear of a lot of pastors who... who don't finish well. And we don't hear of a lot of pastors who do finish well. But this is a pastor who did a lot and finished well. Look at what, listen to what he said um, about death and our greatest need. He said this, when some people say, well, when you die, it's over and there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to, to deal with. 
my response is, what, are you say- what you're saying is that death means the end of love. Death means the end of love. And you're telling me not to dread the death of love? You're telling me not to dread that? Give me a break. If I know there's love on the other side of death, I can face it. If I know there's infinitely greater love, then I can certainly face it. Why? Because of the God who sees us and the God who sees you and knows you and saw our greatest need and knew that death was coming for all of us. Spiritual, physical, relational, emotional death. And he so saw us that he acted. And he knew our need greater than we knew. And that for us on the other side of that prick, that sting, is an infinitely greater love than we can ever comprehend or imagine. That is the God that we love in this room. That is the God who we serve in this room. The God who sees. And so as I pray this morning and we get ready to end, I just have a question for you, church. Do you feel invisible? Do you feel like no one knows you? And that, that you have all of these needs and these things in your life that is just so dominating you and you are suffering. Can I introduce you to a God? His name is Elroy. Another name for him is Yahweh. And he sees you, even if you don't see him yet. And the way that we open our hearts and our minds to him is to confess and believe in him. Not only for salvation, but for everything else too. So he sees you, church, but do you see him? Let us open our eyes and our hearts to what the Lord has for us today. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We are so thankful to you for the love that you have bestowed upon us, that you see us, that you know us intimately better than we know ourselves, that you see what is on the inside and the needs on the outside. And you are preparing and working all things together for good. And so God, today I ask for your favor on us as people. That not only do you see us, but God, that we would see you today working and moving our lives and just those meetings that we have are not coincidences and those people that come into our lives are not coincidences. And the fact that we are here this morning is not a coincidence, but a divine appointment. And that you are doing an incredible work in our lives. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? That you heard us in our hour where we cried out to you and you are a good father. Lord, I'm even reminded of your word in Matthew where you say that you even meet the needs of the birds in the sky. How much more do you love us and meet our needs? And so God, would you give us faith to see and eyes to see you today? May we celebrate you this week. And for some of us, God, those problems, those things that we we are dealing with so deeply in our hearts and our souls, God, would we just call it Ishmael? Would we believe that you hear us and you see us and you know us and you are working? And would you give us the grace and the peace that we need to be patient in the waiting? Thank you so much for not being a distant God. Thank you so much for seeing us. Thank you so much for not being far away like you could be, but that you are near and you are close. And so God, we love you. We honor you in this place. And God, I pray if there's any person in this room that has never received Christ as Savior, never believed in him for the forgiveness of sin, 
that, Lord, today you would just invade their heart and their mind and that you would call them home and that they would respond to you with a yes and an amen. And you would lead them and you would rescue them and they would receive that gift fully and freely today. But God, remind us of your grace and your goodness today. We love you. We thank you in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Church, I love you.